being here. Um, let's get right into it. Let's let's kind of let some listeners talk about um, your kind of journey into Big Brothers and Big Sisters and how you became the, the CEO. Sure. So I um, started with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, like most people um, start when they engage with our program after college, I should say. Um, and I started as a volunteer, Anthony. I went to the University of Texas in Austin and was part of a um, school-based uh, kind of reading program. And I realized then and there that mentoring is a, is a really cool way of giving back because it forms a relationship and any good relationship is a two-way street. So when I graduated from UT Austin, I decided to sign up um, for Big Brothers Big Sisters um, and you know, got involved in the program and met a young man named Jalen who was six at the time. I should mention, Anthony, part of my motivation for, for joining was also I realized I was really fortunate um, coming from the family that I come from, but also the the education and you name it, right? I went to one of these high schools where every kid goes to college, 100%. And when I went to UT Austin, I realized that there was a lot of first-generation college students and lots of people that came from different circumstances. And I thought, man, it'd be really cool if in a meaningful way I could share the good fortune that I was born into quite candidly with somebody else. And when I signed up for Big Brothers Big Sisters, I my goal was I'm going to help a kid go to college. But I quickly realized that the Big Brothers Big Sisters mentoring mission was was really about so much more than that. About a quarter of our kids in our agency, for example, have a parent that's incarcerated. And a federal study done in the early 2000s shows that those kids are so much more likely to go to prison than one day themselves. And to me, that just that just struck me as so unfair. Because when you meet, you know, these kids, they have every ounce of potential uh, to achieve something great in, in life and to be, to live out, uh, you know, and have a complete and full life. And what I love about our mission is that we don't, that Big Brothers Big Sister doesn't put in kids something that's not already, already there. We simply match them with a safe, positive volunteer mentor that can journey with them. They can put their arm around them and say, I see in you, you know, that you're really good. In my little brother's case, he's an amazing speaker, amazing talker. So I'm like, Jalen, you could be a lawyer someday. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we don't want another lawyer, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you have you have great skills like that. And so long story short, Anthony, I just fell in love with the program. I joined the Houston board. Um, again, I was working in um, finance, kind of entrepreneurial stuff. And I never expected that one day I would end up working there, much less being the CEO. And, and you know, happy to tell you more about that, but I'll, I'll yield back to you. But one thing led to another. And I started in a fundraising job. I, I left thinking I'd be there for a couple of years, then go to business school. And, um, and then, you know, the CEO opportunity opened up. I, like so many things in life, when you sign up to help somebody, you, you know, you find that the thing you signed up to do comes back to you ten, tenfold, as they say. Absolutely. And I got incredible mentors um, within Big Brothers Big Sisters that I met through it that that started kind of speaking into me. And that that was, you know, one of those mentors in particular really encouraged me to move forward with the CEO job. A few of them did, I should say, but became the CEO and um, in 2015 after working there for three years and being a volunteer at that point for 
um, six years. Now I've been a volunteer for 12 years, which is hard to believe. My little brother, Jalen, is graduating high school this year, is an incredible kid, really talented, will be going to college next year. Um, still doesn't know exactly where, but applying and, um, and living out the outcomes that our program achieves. And Jalen, here's the coolest thing about the program. Jalen will go to college and I guarantee you, he will sign up to be a big brother himself. And, uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a program where we, I have so many stories. So many of our board members are former littles that have now been bigs multiple times over. And it's, it's just the coolest program really deep at its core. You know, and that kind of like gives me goosebumps because I, I think, you know, talking with multiple nonprofits that I have experienced over my thing, you know, over my life, but Big Brothers Big Sisters is consistently something that changes somebody's family tree. And I think that's the most powerful thing. And we have, you know, Make-A-Wish Foundation. That is a great foundation. And it kind of serves its purpose. But the Big Brothers Big Sisters, you know, group changes the family trees. And so you're not seeing that incarceration rate. You're seeing the higher college rate. You're seeing these these things. And that, to me, is just a, such a powerful uh, thing, and and that's why I have such respect for for you and the Big Brothers Big Sisters, and and uh, I we mentioned it offline, but I want to you know say again, like just we need to talk some more about getting me a little bit more involved in that because I'd love to love yeah, to help you'd out. Be, you'd be great, Anthony, anytime. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, I know you kind of took over in 2015, and there's been some there was kind of some turmoil with Big Brothers Big Sisters, and you just kind of had done. Um, some your last merger to kind of make all of Texas there kind of talk about kind of that part when you first took over. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. So, you know, the organization that I represent Anthony, as of the start of this year, big brothers, big sisters, Lone Star, it's the largest affiliate agency in the country. We cover um, roughly 50% of the populous portion of Texas, um, Houston, all the way up to DFW, Abilene, um, all the way up to Wichita Falls even, and some some smaller communities in between. Um, but but the agency I run was basically five um, or six, 501c3 Big Brothers Big Sisters affiliate agencies that came together through mergers um, that one of my predecessors as CEO really led. And, um, you know, the, 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 the reason for the mergers made sense. A lot of it was financial troubles from one agency and then and then the, my predecessor CEO was a really talented fundraiser and was able to grow the program and do all these things. So they merged in hoping that, you know, that, that that guy would stay there forever. The problem is like so many things, when you build something around one person and that person leaves, it doesn't create anything that's very sustainable. And so from that guy who did most of the mergers, Houston was the last merger, maybe 2011. Um, it, it, it led to the, this huge agency, but an agency that was really facing a lot of trouble financially. Um, um, and what I will say is this, and it taught me a lot about, about empowerment and how systems are so important, but we just didn't have clean systems in place. And although my agency is all within the bounds of the state of Texas, as you know, Anthony, the state of Texas is a very diverse state, even Dallas and Fort Worth, two communities that share a kind of a grand metroplex have two very separate cultural identities and when it comes to philanthropy there are funders in both of those communities who really just want to when it comes to social service nonprofit which big brothers big sisters is a social serving nonprofit really want to fund kids in 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 their community and community is typically defined as 
kind of a hyper local place. And we just didn't have systems that, that uh, formally, uh, internally, if you will, created the right, the right ownership levels and the right team mentalities, kind of in a decentralized model um, uh, to make that work. And so the first day I became CEO, we had suffered maybe three years of financial loss, maybe four years of financial loss, losing like a million dollars a year or more. And um, I remember I was 29 at the time. I'd been an insider. Our Houston section of the agency had been doing well financially, growing more revenue, which is probably why I was able to convince the board to give me a shot at the CEO job. But really, I wanted the job because I had a vision for how to make this work. Um, and I'll never forget anything walking or flying up to Dallas and seeing the look on so many of our um, you know, staff members' faces. It was like, wait, this kid is going to be our CEO? And one of the questions I got was, when are we going to get raises? Because people at our agency had not had raises in three years because we were suffering financially. And it, it taught me a very valuable lesson that leadership, while they were trying to protect our employees from the harsh realities of our bad financial performance, they weren't empowering them to understand that every single person on our team could really be employed to use their God-given talents, their full brain power, in a sense of an ownership kind of culture to really transform that negative financial performance into positive financial performance. Um, the cash flow that I inherited used to only have a very limited number of top leaders on it. And that's where, you know, you were realizing that we were spending far more than we were bringing in. And so from day one, I set out to create a different culture. Um, one that really, um, you know, in a, I guess you would call it open book way, transformed how people, how everybody, I don't care what the role is, had, had full oversight in real time over all the numbers. And we incorporated a system um, called the great game of business. And, um, and I'm actually now the last person to see our numbers on a weekly basis, but everybody sees them on a weekly basis and everybody speaks into them. And it's, 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 it's been a tool that has been incredibly valuable, especially as we face the headwinds of the 2020 COVID pandemic. So Absolutely. it's proven to be, be helpful just to have this kind of, this kind of tool system in place. So, and that kind of, you know, we'll get to COVID here in, in a little bit, but one of the big things is running a nonprofit is very much like a normal business. You still have your P&L, you still have, you know, all of these other aspects, human resources, marketing and stuff, but you have the added benefit of, you know, your people are, are working, but then you also have the volunteers and your, you know, corporate board members who you have to kind of please. So can you kind of talk to that about how that makes running a business both easier and, and harder? Sure. Um, I wish I had a copy of this book. So, it, you know, um, the author, Jim Collins, who wrote the book, Good to Great, which is one of the classic business books of the past few decades, realized when he wrote it that a lot of nonprofit people were buying the book. And a lot of board members who come from the business world typically said, this nonprofit needs to be run like a business. And he said, and he got an argument with actually a great local Houstonian partner of ours, David Weekly, a big home builder who I'm, who's blessed our mission many, many times over and has become a really good friend. The, 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 the book that he decided to write because he realized there was very important differences between running a business and running a nonprofit. And by the way, he said it, it, the book, the book that he created, which was good to great for the social sector. It's an addendum book to the good to great. 
but he basically it starts out with him arguing with David Weekly, which I loved. And I've, David said that Jim College was correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're arguing because David was of the opinion that of course nonprofits should be run like business. And basically, what Jim Collins pressed back and said, "No, David, th- there's different drivers. And frankly, it doesn't mean that that nonprofits should not strive for greatness." And so, um, it's a really good question, Anthony. There are there are critical differences, and I'll say one. For example, our program revenue. It is not. We could do the best job with the kids. But because our services are free, unlike a traditional business where, say, you're Amazon, <laughs> you know, it's pretty simple. You, yeah. you, you light your customers, you give the lowest product, they're going to come back, right? That that business model works. For us, because our services are, are fundamentally free, <laughs> it, we could have the best program delivery. But if we're not out raising money, which is a separate group of constituents uh, and, and taking care of those people – well, then we're not going to be able to pay for the great program service. So, yeah. so just that simple fundamental driver makes it different than running a business in the pure sense. And most businesses, if you take great care of your customers, then that they're going to send in revenue and they're going to come back to the table. Mm-hmm. With us, our customers really are our kids and the families we serve and our volunteers. We, we have a match support team that is fundamentally set up to support and, and, and guide those relationships. But 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 if we just do that, it's not going to pay the bills. And so that fundamental difference is one thing Jim Collins realized uh, that said this is this is very different than a traditional business. And and to strive for greatness in that, it requires a different type of leadership. Um, and he said, and I believe this fundamentally, he basically stipulated that to be a leader of a great nonprofit organization, again, you want to strive for greatness, but you need to incorporate skills that he called. Um, legislative leadership skills versus top-down leadership. And that means that if you're going to run a nonprofit well and you have a clear vision of where you need to go, you have to incorporate lots of people's ideas. Your funders, the kids you serve, the volunteers, everybody, and constantly be open to this feedback circle um, that makes people buy in. People support what they create. (laughs) And if you want to see a a nonprofit fail – have them go off and just try to slam solutions down communities' throats. No, people support what they create. And that 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 cycle of getting buy-in, I believe, is encapsulated in the idea of legislative leadership. It's you know, all the the board members that we have that that are, that give so selflessly of themselves, their voice needs to be heard for them to be to be um um you know, motivated to give at the levels they do. And they have a right to have their voice heard. And that, again, as a CEO, requires legislative leadership skills. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I think, I mean, you look at the NGOs in, in Africa and stuff like that, and, you know, they're shoving down these big tractors and, and stuff, and, you know, they just don't have the infrastructure in Africa to do that. So those things don't get adopted. So it's, again, very much that legislative and what you have there and that hyper-local thing that people want to focus about um you know you kind of have i think maybe of of the big brother big sister affiliates one of the harder ones because you have both a houston board and a dallas board and and stuff like that can you kind of talk about some of the the things with kind of going between those two sure and it goes back to when i became the ceo i think it's a great question i appreciate you asking about it when what we realized is so first of all for there to be one 501c3 which is the structures of non all nonprofits 
that that are in the social service sector at least are structured as 501c3s uh, and 501c3s can only have one fiduciary board but again people support what they create anthony and what i realized when i became the ceo is we had regional boards that didn't feel empowered to help co-own the goals with the staff team and and in fact how it would look is the central staff team would just push out <laughs> objectives and say this is Houston region's goals to equal this bigger role or this is Dallas region or this is Fort Worth region and people just started opting out of our regional boards yeah. and really our regional boards are critical because they're the ones that are closest to the ground our mission is ultimately fundamentally a, a local kid and a local volunteer supported by a local staff member and funded by local donors about 90 uh, 5% of our donors, I would say, care about supporting people in communities, some by charter. So United Way of Greater Houston has specific counties it can support. And, you know, so we, we had to do a better job of empowering our, our local teams, which included our boards and our staff, to owning the mission locally. And to have, the, frankly, the flexibility and the autonomy, if you will, um, to, to make sure that that worked. I studied a lot of nonprofits, Anthony. I, I've kind of become a geek on it because yeah. not a lot of national nonprofits, there are national 501c3s that are not federated like BBBS, have figured this out. American Red Cross used to be separate 501c3s. They, they merged all of them into one entity and it has created, I mean, just you could look at the 990 history. I, I haven't seen the last year maybe, but years of significant loss, significant loss. Um, um, and, and, and so when I looked at Big Brothers Big Sisters Lone Star, how do you make this kind of half statewide organization work and empower teams, both, both board and staff, to really own that work? I found actually through David Weekly, whose name I'll keep mentioning, he connected us to Young Life. And Young Life is a national 1501c3 based in Colorado Springs. But they figured out what they would call a shared service model. And basically what it enables is the central team and the staff team to understand exactly where, you know, the functions meet, if you will. But but it also doesn't create competition between the central because they're one entity. And it empowers the local regional boards to support the work up to the level that the local region can support it. And, um, you know, it's a kind of like a, of every dollar raised, no matter where it's raised, it funnels through a percentage where a small percentage of it goes to cover the central operation cost. But that means that if the CEO comes from Colorado Springs to the greater Houston region, they're in sync. If they go get a big win, it's it's not like they're competing against each other, you know? And yeah. so we, we for Lone Star, and again, Big Brothers Big Sisters of Lone Star, different than Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, it's a separate 501c3. But just for Lone Star, with all the regions we have, we realized we could make our budget at $12.5 million was actually big enough to make a central service model work. And that therefore would empower our regional boards and our local staff teams, which are headed by market presidents that, and again, they formally report to me, they have a dotted line to the regional board, straight line up the staff chain. We, we, we kind of imitated what Young Life does. Again, one 501c3, yeah. there's one fiduciary board. So we made that work. Every chair of our regional boards has a standing seat on the Lone Star Board. But it's very important to note that the Lone Star Board is not Congress. You're not going there to um, argue for your region's behalf or try to stay. Right. It's, it, we have a culture of enterprise thinking 
that is really critical to making our mission work. And so the types of people that we want on our executive board are people that can really influence multiple regions across the state that maybe represent a company like Aldi, which is based in Fort Bend, um, or at least their Texas branch is. And, but they have you know growing stores in DFW, Abilene, and Houston. So it's perfect. We're, we have their senior VP of this region on our executive board. But she has she has the ability to be a real enterprise thinker, if that makes sense. So that's that's kind of how it works. Again, we've maintained we didn't actually even have to change our charter to make this work. We had to we had to have a strategic plan that everybody was bought into that realigned our organization appropriately. And the charter was right. You can only have one fiduciary board. I cannot stress that enough to, right. to make it work. But but when you redid the um, the. Uh, the the strategic plan you now had buy-in into a model that was much healthier and much more sustainable um and that has really worked for us and helped us grow again well and i, and I think too you know you, you mentioned david weekly numerous times you know if if the houston area was was you know going to david weekly to to get some funds and then the dallas chapter was going to get some funds there was some mismatch on you know those things that i'm sure that central model kind of helped the corporate sponsorship you know be totally forward. totally but, but again, this is something people would probably be surprised at aren't in the nonprofit sector. You have major national corporations like Wells Fargo, uh, and their giving strategies are different in each community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they maybe have some buckets of common you know, practice, but you know, we've been able to have great relationships with it in one market, not so good in others, even though they're in both. And, uh, and it really speaks to how they've given autonomy to their banking leaders and and there's lots of companies like that actually. So just because they share a name doesn't mean that they that the the dollars all flow to the same places. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know lots of companies that that kind of have given that autonomy to the region to let them kind of have their own pet projects per se. Um, you know, speaking of, you've talked a lot about messaging and, and vision, and I know you're a big fan of, of Donald Miller and the, and the story brands and, and stuff like that. Kind of talk about how you when you came in and, and the changes you've made in messaging for for um, Big Brothers Big Sisters Lone Star. Yeah, that, that's that's great that you know I'm a fan of Don Miller. Don Miller um, has become a personal friend. I, he invited me on a fishing trip this year, Anthony, that as a total side note, I ended up getting COVID on, which was not Don Miller's fault. I don't want that to be documented on your podcast. But um, And he magically did not get it, by the way. So I think he's like has immunity to it, which is great. But Don is, you know, a former, uh, well, he's still a best-selling writer, but he switched to business books, but he wrote, used to write novels mm-hmm. um, and memoirs like Blue Like Jazz. And basically, he turned Blue Like Jazz into a movie. My understanding is, and I haven't seen it, but the movie didn't actually do well, but he realized that when you tell stories, you have the same kind of theme, no matter what the story is. All great stories have basically a hero who's presented with a problem, and there's consequences for that who meets a guide and blah, blah, blah. And as he was thinking about it, he was able to, to, to watch commercials. And he realized that the, the, the companies that nail commercials are companies that place their customers as the hero in the story. In other words, the company should not be the hero. And so how that applied to Big Brothers Big Sisters is, you know, we too often want to go out there and wave the flag and say, look how great our our mission is, which it is, by the way, but look how great it is and and look how great we are. And really, you flash that the other way and you say, who really is responsible 
for helping this mission work. It's certainly our volunteers who sign up, selflessly give of themselves at least twice a month for a kid that we've matched them with. And they, they are, you know, they are fundamental heroes and they're the ones who really drive our mission. So let's focus the attention on them. Let's focus the attention on the donor. They're the hero. They're the one providing the fuel that enables our staff to keep our kids and our volunteers in safe, healthy, productive matches. Um, and let's also focus it on our kids. There's so many. So there were so many. There were three main scripts that we realized when we focused the attention in the appropriate way. Our agency was the guide in the story. It was the it was the the connector that let the person who uh, maybe had some extra money and wanted to do something to give back be the hero that invested in their community and lift the lives of thousands of kids. And when you when you place that 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 onus on the people that are really driving your mission that you need to engage more with and you make them the heroes of the story. Great things happen because really it, it's not about us at the end of the day. It's about the people that we're interacting with. We're just a guide to help them live their best lives possible. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. So Don, Don, Don Miller's framework is great. Great. Yeah. Um, I, I know he has a new book. This is not a plug. I probably, I may cut this out, but you know, business made simple, you know, I'm reading it right now. I know, I know you've read it. Uh, it's a great book. Um, I really enjoy listening to Don Miller and he's definitely helped me out in my own, own business. Um, so yeah, so, and I would love to go fishing with Donald Miller. So, uh, <laughs> he's, he seems like a pretty, pretty interesting guy. Um, so I, I kind of want to just maybe, you know, as we get closer to wrapping up, kind of talk about how the matching system works. So, you know, I want to be involved in, in Big Brothers Big Sixers. How do, you know, what does one go about getting involved and in, in stuff like that? Sure. So it's pretty simple. And this is probably true no matter where in the country people are, certainly our agency, but the other Big Brothers Big Sisters affiliates, we share um, a standards practice to carry the Big Brothers Big Sisters brand. So roughly speaking, most of the programs are similar. What we are looking for, Anthony, is volunteers that can commit at least two uh, outings per month, which by the way, I've heard this today and I find it hard to believe, but I actually don't find it hard to believe. People spend over two and a half hours a day on their phone on social media networks. So all we are <laughs> looking for is one day of people's social media usage um, um, you know, twice over per month. So two days of that, basically. just give us two days of that yeah. a month and you will literally change the life of a kid. We almost certainly in our agency across Texas, but also in agencies across the country have a desperate need for more positive male volunteers. We, we, we really try hard to recruit diverse males and we end up recruiting a lot of women, <laughs> which is great. There's also a need for women. I'm not like we need women too, but we have so many young boys whose guardians have raised their hand saying, my son needs a positive male role model and we need people to step up to the plate. It is something that I've found a lot of people maybe don't sign up because they say, well, I'm you know messed up and I did something stupid in college and I've got this rep. No, we need people that have that, that, that can share their mistakes in a positive way, that have learned from their mistakes and help prevent a kid from making the same mistakes. If we took only perfect people, Anthony, we would not have a program because perfect right. people don't exist. And I think a lot of people are worried they won't be up to the task or they don't have the time. But what you quickly realize, and I hear this from everybody that signs up, is that you incorporate kids into things you're already doing. 
and it makes the experience much richer and it certainly makes you feel like you have a life of much deeper meaning. And, and again, I have yet to meet a volunteer that doesn't feel like the match hasn't changed uh, their life view and maybe more than it has even changed the kid Absolutely. when it worked out. So it's, it's a really amazing way to, to, to get involved, to get involved in the community. We also, I'll just plug our, the people involved in our mission. They're the best of the best. This is not something that people do because it makes them look good on social media. It's too much of a commitment for that, right? There's yeah. lots of ways you can go, show up, maybe build a house, take a picture, post it. This is like a commitment to another human life. And it's really rewarding when you do it. So I'd encourage your listeners to, to think about it. We, we need people and people of all ages and all life experiences. If, if um, We have a very thorough background, background check process um, and reference checks. And you know what we're looking for is people that are safe for, for kids but can be positive role models. Um, and again, call out what we fundamentally believe is um, innate potential that exists in every single kid. Yeah. And I think it's hard to, you know, leave a life without, you know, having some scars. So if you can't, you know, you got to have your scars and, and move, move on, maybe not the gaping wounds, you know, when you're still getting over some stuff, but many, many people have, have those scars of past. And I think it met, lets them be better mentors. Sure. Sure. Totally. Um, well, Pierce, I, I think we're, we'll wrap it up. You know, how can people follow you or find out more about you and, and your fun, fun stuff? Um, I guess I don't, you know, I'm, it's interesting, Anthony, I've gone through waves of life of being a poster on things and then not a poster, but, um, I guess people can follow me on Twitter. I occasionally, occasionally have a tweet on there that yeah. Pierce Bush, um, and then I guess Instagram or Facebook, but, but also my email, I don't mind saying this on your podcast, even is Pierce bush at gmail.com hit me up if you have any questions i uh i i love to to hear from people and um i'm not as you know the quickest responder but i do respond <laughs> so yeah give, give <laughs> it some time it. folks give it some time <laughs> but no i love to hear if people have questions about big brothers big sisters or anything else um be happy to connect well absolutely uh pierce i appreciate it so much for you coming on and, and talking and, and sharing your your story and, and being vulnerable to, to that um, great work that you're doing. And uh, I know it's, it's coming sooner or later, but congratulations again on the, on the baby that's, that's due soon and you'll be a great father. Thank you, Anthony. It's great talking with you, man. Great talking to you.